Hello, and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and uh, it's getting dark really early now, so I feel a bit insane because I look up from my computer screen and the day is gone, and I don't appreciate that. It's awful. I see the light like once a day. It's grim. All right, let's get into the show. <laughs> <laughs> talking this week about the um, the ongoing implosion of the internet uh, but to kick things off as always I'm going to ask my lovely co-host Luke Bailey here a very simple question hey Luke how is the internet this week I mean my internet is now is now World Cup internet so my internet is simultaneously angry and happy and going through every emotion you can go through but like repeatedly and geo geolocated the World Cup internet is similar to Olympics internet, but distinctly different in ways. No, in America, in America, it's similar. No one outside of America cares about the Olympics. Sure, but we have to cover the Olympics because NBC bought the rights to them, so we have to pretend like it's a big deal. Or right, but Americans like because America, well, you you guys don't compete internationally in any sports. Are we in the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ryan. The United States qualified for the World Cup. Did we? Oh, okay. That's very surprising for us. United, the United States men's team, as we have to say. Okay, that's good. Uh, no, we're on. Um, we're England are playing the United States on Friday. Actually, you think we'll win? Who is we? The U.S. No. You think we'll do? We'll think we'll do all right. <laughs> no. No, the English obliterated their first opponent six to two, and I felt like it could have been worse. And uh, the Americans drew one one yesterday. I don't know. I think I think we could. Now that I know that America's in the World Cup, I'm very excited about uh, them winning, I guess. Yeah, but it's because all your national sports don't like travel internationally. So you, you basically have this World Cup thing and this Olympics thing. And the, the, Amer the Americans are by far the most annoying fans. For what? Of football. For like, football, yeah. It is awful. Well, it's because, it's because like normal Americans don't care. So you get like all the weird like beta millennial dudes who are like, I love F1 in the World Cup. Hold on, hold on. You get hold all on, the soy boys on. who are like, oh man, I'm going to go watch the World Cup at like the European themed bar in Crown Heights tonight. I uh, hope my wife lets me out. I feel like you... you know. <laughs> like you're, you're getting all the... Are you subtweeting me live you're, you're on this <laughs> show? Like literally just... <laughs> Ryan, I'm wearing a Team USA hat literally right now. Really? I thought it was a, it was red and the connection wasn't great. So I thought you were just wearing a MAGA hat for some reason. I couldn't really make out what was on it. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, it's, no, it's the US. They're exactly the same as the Olympics people where they are just like bizarrely patriotic over something that they are not good no. at. Luke, you're and not like, getting this. Every, it's, it's, oh, it's the worst. The Olympics are camp. The Olympics are for, are for queer people. The World Cup is for people who play Settlers of Catan. That's the difference. <laughs> anyway, the point is, the World Cup is at the wrong time of year, uh, and it's extremely messed up, and there's a lot of very weird shit happening. Why? Um, Talk us through well, it. Act like you're on a podcast for once. Yeah, I, I, to run a quick list. <laughs> thus, thus, far, the, thus far, the attendance at the games of the World Cup 
uh, has been around 110% of the total capacity of the grounds. Oh. Uh, so Wait, is that is that true, the official count? Because every game I've watched, there's like 40% of the seats. Oh, around. yeah, no, there was one today, which was the, sorry, the, so the Lutthel Stadium, which I, I can't remember which game it was actually, um, but it has an official capacity of 80,000, and they declared an attendance of 88,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the, the I think it was would have been the... Uh, uh, the Denmark game today, I think the ground capacity was 40,000 and they declared that the attendance of 41,000. And it's just every game that just like, yeah, no, more people showed up than we had seats for. And also all the seats are empty. Uh, they've brought back Vuvuzelas for some reason. That's good. I think everything should involve a Vuvuzela, inclu- including court cases. I think that everything is made better with the sound of a Vuvuzela just going off in the background. <sighs> yeah, I mean, this is, oh, this is, honestly, there's just so much weird shit going on. I love how there's a load of, like, there's, personally there's a load exasperated of, you are by the very thought of the World Cup. It's it's really odd. They've they've changed injury time for some reason. So all the games have like instead of having like two or three minutes injury time, have like ten minutes injury time. So games are just the wrong length now. Uh, they have there are fans there who they have they claim not to have paid, which I actually believe. But basically, because Qatar is like eighty five percent male or something, all of the migrant workers from like Kerala, for example, which is uh, an area of India that loves soccer. Uh, they are all there supporting Brazil and Argentina and England for some reason. So they've got all these shots of like these Carolyn fans singing the songs ever so slightly wrong because they're not from the country, but they're, they're just there because they, they live there and work there. Uh, and then all of this pales into nothing because it is in a country that has won their World Cup by like a devastating amount of corruption, which basically nearly took down FIFA itself, but somehow didn't result in the World Cup going. But at the same time, they treat women awfully. They treat LGBTQ people awfully. They treat migrant workers awfully, and it has an this this World Cup has just an astonishing like environmental footprint, more than any World Cup ever by a factor of something. They've they've built eight stadiums for this World Cup for this one month, and built an entire public transport network for this one month of this World Cup, and no one in Qatar is interested in it happening. It is bizarre. It is the most bizarre thing. But it's also producing all kinds of fantastic global internet content, such as a. <laughs> uh, did you see what happened with a, a British correspondent for the Wall Street Journal in Brazil this week? Yeah, you probably did not see this. Uh, which one was this? Okay, so it was pretty good. Um, so, so Samantha Pearson, uh, a correspondent uh, for the Wall Street Journal, she's British. She's been in Sao Paulo for like twelve years. She tweeted, my son's school here in Brazil is sending pupils home two hours before each Brazil game in the World Cup so the staff can watch the matches. Emoji of like a woman putting her hand up to her face. I will now be rooting for a quick elimination for the national team, to which a Brazilian went super viral writing, lady, you waited two weeks to see a casket. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She then deleted the tweet after she became a huge meme in Brazil. But I do really appreciate that side of the World Cup, which is like uh, the Internet. I would say normally I'd say like the Internet Meme Olympics, but that's not correct. The Copa do Meme, I guess. The sort of like global content. Just call it it the Meme Cup. You're not actually Brazilian. No, but the Meme Cup doesn't sound good. Copa do Meme, which is Spanish, or you could do Copa do Meme for Portuguese. Either one sound better is what I'm saying. I mean, nothing with meme sounds good. So yeah, sure. Why not? I also saw the video. Did you see the video of the two Everton fans who ended up? Oh God, yeah. So walk us walk us through the the the, the what happened here and the cultural context that we need to understand what's going on. The first clip that went around was just two Scousers being interviewed who are in the, out there saying Scousers are British people, correct? They're British people from Liverpool. Okay, thank you. 
and they they were being interviewed and they basically asked hey how are you finding this world cup because an additional weirdness of this is obviously the World Cup is historically quite a beer-heavy event, yeah. uh, quite an alcohol-heavy event. Qatar does not allow alcohol except in very, very a very small number of locations. Uh, so you, if you want to actually watch a game in like the town or the city, you have to pay like two hundred and forty pounds to get into a hotel bar, and then you have to pay eighty pounds of beer to drink a beer at the hotel bar while, while watching the game. What? Alternatively, you can go to a fan park where they sell a small amount of beer. You're allowed four beers. You're only allowed Budweiser, which is, in many ways, the, the cruelest cut of all. Man. They were supposed to sell beer in the stadium, and then two days before uh, Qatar decided, actually, they didn't like this, and said, we're not going to sell any beer in the stadium, which Budweiser, as one of the main sponsors of the World Cup, is, as you can imagine, ecstatic about. Big fans of this decision. Yeah, it's 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 such a mess. Anyway... It kicks off with these two guys being on a beer hunt because they were looking for beer because there's no beer in this country, which it, uh, the whole thing makes no sense. But they said, oh, yeah, no, but we we're on the beer hunt. But, you know, everyone's been really, really welcoming uh, and, you know, got in this guy's land cruiser and it was a shake and he took us to his palace and we hung out with uh, some some lions and uh, exotic birds. And then, like, yeah, yeah, it was really good. And then they started talking about something else. And the journalist had to go, like, no, sorry, could you go back one? What happened? And then after this came out, someone went and found this guy's Snapchat, and this was exactly what happened. They were wandering around. They met a sheikh. The sheikh took them to his, I mean, villa, palace. I don't. I find it very hard to know how nice the property is there because I imagine the scale of what is a nice property is just like way higher. And I have no idea if that guy is like a gold and oil billionaire or why we gas in Qatar, but... He does have a baby lion. Yeah, he does have a baby lion. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the rest of the content was these two Everton fans playing with the baby lion, which, sure. And see, that's the magic of soccer. You know, that's really what the World Cup is all about, is producing viral moments like that, which are just very complicated tonally to process, you know? It's it's almost worth tens of thousands of people who died for it. So talk us, talk us through the dark side of this, sure, yeah, before we move on. The, it's it's hard to know which bit to aim at, but like the migrant workers is probably a really good thing, which is that Qatar brings in uh, an awful lot of migrant workers from mostly Nepal, um, but also uh, chunks of England, India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. Go, they are paid. They're paid, but they often get like their wages are relative to like typical standards in, in like large parts of the West are horrendous, uh, and they're effectively indentured servants. They can't leave. They can't do much and their their worker safety stuff is 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 uh like abhorrent so you end up with an awful lot of them dying qatar says three people died in the entirety of building all of these stadiums i don't know about that amnesty put it i think at 37,000. other human rights groups have put it in somewhere between the eight thousand to like fifty thousand mark and the, the the reality is we'll actually just never know but yeah tens of thousands of people have died for this world cup and then also, you know, you have the, the general thing about, like, the treatment of people that women have very, very few rights uh, and are desperately demanding more. And then you have, you know, the treatment of LGBTQ people, which actually, if you would like to hear more about that, you should listen to the I podcast, which we launched last week with Patrick Strudwick, who's done a bunch of investigative journalism on this exact topic. And it's really worth listening to to, to hear about exactly what happens. Yeah, what's happened to LGBTQ people? Because it's awful. Yeah. I actually saw a, a video of a, once again, Brazilian fan uh, who tried to get in wearing the fl uh, a flag from Pernambuco, which the flag has a rainbow in it. It's a nice flag. And he was not allowed in uh, because they're just... Compli they're, conf they're confiscating all rainbow-related equipment. Yeah. The England team, along with uh, seven or eight other European countries, were going to wear this 
what's called a one love armband. The armband, is, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a captain's armband, but it don't. It's not really a pride armband because they were like, well, here's what we think we can get away with. Um, so it's kind of just like six random colors that kind of hints at the idea of if you knew a rainbow, if if, someone, if you described a rainbow without knowing what it looked like, you might get here. And yeah, but then they were. FIFA told them not to, and they kind of chickened out of wearing it because they, yeah, they were told they would basically be booked or potentially or have more stringent sporting sanctions on it. And they felt like they didn't want to play the game with 10 players or whatever, which, yeah, is both sad and understandable and disappointing and infuriating. And yeah, the whole thing is like, it's appalling. Also, England's first game was against Iran, and Iran is obviously going through a kind of a revolution right now. I mean, Iran's fans booed their own anthem. The Iranian players refused to sing the anthem. The Iranian uh, I don't know if he's the captain, but it's certainly they're kind of the lead, uh, one of the lead spokesmen for the Iranian team was very, very open and vocal about how Iran is mistreating people in their own country uh, and kind of express solidarity with all the, the, the bereaved families of Iran. Which, yeah, it's just the whole thing is, it's World Cups are always like this. They always bring a bunch of this incredibly weird stuff all to the fore at the same time. And it brings all this geopolitics into one place. It's just this time they've put it in a place where the geopolitics is happening right yeah it's it's incredibly messy and it, it makes following it very very weird and makes the internet kind of thing like okay so today saudi arabia beat argentina it was a massive upset messi was like one of the Messi's team one of the favorites for the world cup and saudi arabia beat him and everyone's like wait we love an underdog winning and it's oh no it's saudi arabia right they just spent like a trillion dollars and they're pouring money into into newcastle united to sports wash their own country and mbs is there in the crowd with gianni infantino who is the president of fifa and the qatari president next to him it's just the whole thing is like it's madness and very odd yeah i saw someone say that argentina lost because god was punishing them for arresting the two people involved with the piracy site z library that makes sense that makes sense like they are the they're the villains rather than you know mbs well did mbs take down a beloved streaming site i don't know we're not going to start comparing this. <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, your lifelong exercise in self-hatred that is being a fan of football is going great for you. And I wish you or team the best uh, playing against uh, my country's superior team. <laughs> uh, speaking yeah. of uh, complicated geopolitics that are hard to follow and depressing all around, I think it's probably time to talk about Elon Musk, huh? Yeah, let's do it. So this is this is Tuesday night. We don't know what's going to happen until before this episode comes out. Trump is back on Twitter. Alex Jones is not. Elon Musk has essentially admitted sort of publicly, but then also been recorded privately saying that he will be basically doing all the high profile content moderation himself. And the site is slowly being replaced with automation for cheap. And I guess we're basically in a situation now where we're waiting for either the EU or Apple or both to respond. So how you feeling about Twitter these days, Luke? I, mean, I think the Alex Jones decision is kind of the most interesting bit of it because there's this hint of what the problem with content moderation free speech when you're doing this on principled things is that ultimately everyone thinks someone should be banned. All it is, all that we're moving is like where your line is. And what your own personal thing is and how that then expresses itself on on if you own the platform, your platform. You know, the idea that you say, okay, we could ban Donald Trump, but not 
Ben Shapiro. That's a I don't know why that line exists. I don't under I don't know that one of those is particularly more damaging than the other. Certainly there was a moment in what last January that it was one of them was much more damaging. But I don't see how you can kind of draw that as a clear ideological line and say, okay, here's where the line is. And it that goes like the whole way across. Like everyone agrees, okay, fine, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. We all seem to agree on roughly on that. We disagree on what call shouting fire means. And then we have the other stuff, which is the harassment, the uh, incitement to hatred, all these bits and pieces. Where you have, like, libs of TikTok is probably the best one, which is just as we can direct hate towards an oppressed group of people, who then people follow up with that and start shooting people. Um, and it's extremely grim. And I think that's why the Alex Jones one is most interesting for me, because it's, it's saying, like, he's just saying, okay, my line is just in a slightly different place to where it has been before. It actually doesn't change any of the underlying principles of the site. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I agree to an extent. I do think that there are a lot fewer ways now to, like, let's say, let's say Andrew Tate, who's also back on the site, decides to go full Alex Jones without the Sandy Hook stuff, but just, like, starts ramping up his content to a point that's just unacceptable socially, or let's say libs of TikTok goes full mask off. Yeah. I think under the current situation, it will be much harder, if not impossible to get Twitter to act. I think if God forbid Donald Trump runs for president and becomes president again, and an insurrection like moment happens again under Musk, there is no off switch now. And to, to finish this thought, my bigger fear is that, so like in a perfect world, a lot of uh, the media, a lot of activists would say like, you know, fuck this website, I'm getting off this place. This is like a, this is a dirt hole, this sucks. I'm more afraid of something else happening, which is kind of what we saw during the Trump administration, which is that we just become like part of this never ending palace intrigue where like everyone is trying to get inside the room with Musk to like get stuff done. Cause it turns out that like, that is what happened with the White House. And I just like, and on Twitter, it's going to be way more annoying, I think. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I do think there's the potential for things to happen much quicker with Musk because there are no rails. Like if Musk decides actually the thing that's happening is bad, he will make the change very, very quickly. Like I, I don't know if he has access himself, but I wouldn't be surprised if eventually he has access to just ban people. Like there's no, the the, the problem of oversight is kind of gone which means both there's less rules that people need to break in order to be banned but at the same time like he can just ban someone who doesn't like them and he will do that because that he's that sort of person right i also think like it's it's weird to wrap your head around the new kind of like libertarian system on twitter because i was thinking the other day like okay let's say i get locked out of my account for whatever reason i'm probably not getting that back anytime soon there's probably not even anyone to talk to about getting that back you're you're kind of on your own now under musk twitter and it's it's one of those things where the more you think about it the more you start to process exactly how bizarre this is now where there is this extremely important website and if you make a wrong move on it you're just not gonna get back in there yeah i mean losing the the, the two-factor authentication thing which I don't know if it's back, back. Is it working again now? I think it is. There are other ways to use it, but what you're, what Luke is referencing is that there was a, a part, uh, there was a part of the service that handles two-factor authentication that it can, so it can generate a code and it can take the code, but it, <laughs> they've disabled the service that texts you the code. You can still receive the code on email, 
And I believe you can also generate backup codes. I generated a few just in case. But when I saw that, that's when I thought, okay, it's time to start planning for a Twitterless future. Because even if the site doesn't go down, there's still the opportunity for me to lose it and just never be able to get back into it. Yeah. Oh, God. Which, I mean, you know, in many ways, it's the dream. Well, you know... You say that, and I say that all the time. But also, like, I, I've had some time to reflect on on the role of Twitter in my life, and I still hate it and think it's a bad website run by maniacs, especially now. But I do, I do think it's worth sort of acknowledging the the power that it's had in society, the influence that it's had. I did a very long Twitter space with our mutual friend Katie Topless last week, and we talked all about it with people from all over the world for like four hours. It was it was lovely and and, and kind of emotional couple people cried about it you know it was a it was kind of a weird feeling to say like this is a great website and it's gonna be sad that it's changing or dying or or evolving in a darker way and i also just like can't get over like the similarities between what's happening at twitter and the insurrection like the same giddiness the same glee the same sort of like reactionary joy of destruction of a thing that wasn't perfect but you know in the same way it, it doesn't need to be torn apart in public like this in a certain sense even though the anarchist in me wants to see it go. It feels like there's a word we're missing. And it explains like the feeling you get with this, the feeling you get with <laughs> the feeling you get with an underdog winning a football match, the feeling you get with like just big change coming and you don't know what it's gonna be, but something big is happening. Like like I d I don't know what the word is that, that kind of explains it, but there's it's it's almost glee, it's almost fear, it's almost excitement, but it's just like Something massive is happening. I don't know what. Yes. I kind of felt that way, honestly, watching Russia invade Ukraine. It's like that feeling of watching history unfold. And it's just this fear and sort of, it's not exhilarating because it's not. It's, it's, I was about to say exhilarating. It's like in that, in that field of, but, of emotions. But there's despair tied into it as well. Like watching, yep. Yep. watching these chuds tear apart Twitter in real time and then celebrate it. I just thought like, wow, this this moment that we've been in for 15 years, which I did not enjoy for the majority of those 15 years, is ending whether I want it to or not. And these freaks are really excited about it. And that frightens me. And yet, like I have a curiosity that I'm not proud of about what's going to happen next, but I don't want it to happen. And I know what you mean. I mean, that's the worst thing. It's all the worst people are excited about it. That's the worst thing, you know, because these people are the, are horrible. And they are just I, I now I am genuinely wondering like exactly how far this can go before these horrible people make the site unusable for not normal people, because I think most normal people are leaving. But I think like the hardcore journalists will stay, which is just so depressing. And I'm wondering, like, when is the moment The New York Times says, like, we can't have our reporters on here anymore? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, hey you have to have a plan for this. It's like, well, Elon Musk doesn't have a plan for this, so why should we? <laughs> like, right. uh, I don't I think, don't think he knows much more than we do at this point. So we'll kind of see what happens and, and let it go. But it's definitely it's definitely a consideration. Should we, should journalists be on the site anymore? Should other people be on the site? And I sort of feel like ultimately most people will because like the real value of Twitter is in the network effect. It is having a powerful network and you cannot immediately recreate that network on another site. If you could, I think people would go. Yes. But unless someone figures out a way to basically port the entire Twitter, uh, well, I don't know, I can't remember what they call it, but like the user graph, the, yeah. the relationships graph into another 
site, then like, why would you do it? Why would you change anything? And so, yeah, I just don't think that from that perspective, that's going to change. And I've run through all of the possible apps that you could migrate to. So I've been messing around with Tumblr again. I've been posting garbage day stuff on Instagram. I made a Mastodon account. I've made a Hive account. I have a post news account. I'm on all the sites and I will probably not use any of them again in like a week. I'm already kind of tired of using them. I think that there's an opportunity for a site to come up and replace Twitter. I find Hive interesting, but at the same time, it's mobile only, which means I'm never going to use it again. Sure. Although I did like the sort of stumble upon-esque feeling it had when I opened it. But I think it's good that we're kind of having these conversations about where to go next. But I think for the most part, internet users are inherently lazy. This is my theory about why Substack is so successful. People didn't want to receive news on Facebook anymore. So what is the easiest non-algorithmic way to receive an update? Email. Everyone's got it. Boom. Email becomes popular again. In the same way, yeah. I don't see internet users caring enough about their internet experience to leave Twitter, even if it's even more of a hellhole than it's been for the last 10 years. Agree. <laughs> yeah. Like... I, I will just say, you, you just saying that, Ryan, about the stumble upon-esque feature, the thing that I find myself doing more often than not is I'm second screening while I'm watching a show and I'm on my phone and I don't want to look at Twitter anymore because it's stupid and I don't want to read the news, but I do want some kind of fun internet content and I find myself constantly wishing I had Google Reader or stumble upon because I know there's fun weird shit out there, but I don't, I can't find it. And I don't want to go to Reddit because it's too specialized and it's too niche. And I don't want to go to Tumblr because I'm not cool enough. So, and that's why you got to subscribe to garbageday.email for all your updates on internet culture <laughs> around the world. And you can also pay $5 a month to be part of a bustling and exciting Discord community. I, I have actually experimented with Substack and kind of basically when everyone's been starting their stuff over the last week and promoting them, I've just followed every single Substack that anyone promotes. Oh, wow. Just as kind of an experiment, just to kind of see what it creates. And it does create a really weird but quite interesting like blog network where all the posts are coming from real people, very few editors, which ups and downs, but like it, it feels very organic and very interesting. And there's a lot of weird content there that it wouldn't have expected. And are you reading garbage day is garbage day in that network? No, I don't subscribe to that. Um, um what, what, hold on. I do want, I, I do want to address something that Alan touched on because I think it's really important for understanding Twitter and it's continued popularity, which is, if you're sitting and watching a show and you're looking at the internet, if you pull up Reddit, you pull up Tumblr, you pull up Pinterest, you might look at stuff and you might even repin or reblog something or you might upvote something. But I'm going to guess 99% of the people looking at those websites are not going to post something original. And that's the big difference between those sites and Twitter, which is that Twitter is so easy to just like jump in and cause trouble. And there's no other website that I've come across that allows you to do that. And Instagram could if Instagram didn't have an algorithm. You know, you can really only post on Instagram once a day, whereas on Twitter, you can post hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times a day and, and not be rate limited. So until a website can fulfill that side of it, I don't see any like I even tried using Mastodon as I would Twitter, which is, you know, like an asshole. And it was not fun. And it was slow and buggy and crashed like four or five times while trying to do it. And it's not intuitive to follow conversation. Like yeah. I posted something and then Anil Dash from Glitch made fun of me, but I didn't see the notification 
correctly because there's like no way to really easily do that on Mastodon. So yeah, I just, I can't find the compulsive itch scratch that Twitter gives me, which is to just like create negative attention for myself in public, you know, that I really crave. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I don't think Mastodon has it. It's odd. It's, it's not quite right. And I, I feel like it's, I know a lot of people kind of describe it as like a hall monitor, a place for hall monitors, and it does very much feel like that. It's, but again, the, like the reason why it's easy to cause chaos on Twitter is the scale of it. No, no. Because I was causing trouble on, on Twitter when it was much smaller and less important. I remember like, you know, like pretty seriously cyberbullying, well, brands. No, see, that's the thing. I was cyberbullying brands. And you can't really do that on, on Mastodon. Okay, but the thing is, that's it's uh, yeah, it's only funny because they're there. That's kind of what I mean by it's not uh, size is probably the wrong word for it. It is the impact of the network, right? As in the other things there are important. I agree. Although I will say, I've noticed a few really interesting things about decentralization, which I wanted to point out before we, we change topics here, because I think it's very hard for people to envision what decentralization looks like. So one, I'm seeing a lot of bloggers go viral for posts. Again, Mike Masnick at TechDirt, good example. I'm seeing screenshots of Mastodon posts go viral on Twitter, which is interesting. Mm. I'm seeing Tumblr stuff become a little more front-facing than it used to. I'm seeing viral content coming from different vectors, and I'm also not seeing all of it through Twitter. Because usually it used to be like everything that wasn't on Twitter was being shared to Twitter, and everything you'd see off Twitter was like in the form of a screenshot of a tweet or a TikTok, right? And I, I'm seeing that break up a bit. And I'm starting to see like posts from other sites, which is very exciting to me. Yeah, I think I'm in there something. As with all these things, once you get a bit of movement on stuff, everything gets really interesting really fast. We should probably talk about the other big platform that is highly successful and has massively improved their content. And maybe it's the place we should all return to. That's right. I want to change gears and talk about Facebook finally listening to the content minds and investing in good content again. So this is very exciting. I'm very excited about this. They uh, obviously did not uh, name us by name, but I think we can all agree that, you know, we can we can take a little credit for this. Mainly because no one else uh, was boring enough to look at this. Yes, no one else was has the same brain sickness that we do. So Jeff Horwitz at the Wall Street Journal published this on Tuesday. It's titled Facebook's most popular post for trash. Here's how it cleaned up. It's a great story. I'll link to it in the show notes. And it's all about a internal war room called the uh, content quality war room that Facebook started in 2022 at the very beginning of the year uh, with the express purpose of basically kicking all the magicians off of the site, or at least uh, downgrading their their popularity in the newsfeed and trying to actually make Facebook usable again, which I think is very fascinating. And uh, along with this news story, they've also put out a new widely viewed content report, yeah. which has some interesting stuff in it. <laughs> it's not like you know, the Criterion Collection. But it's it's interesting that there isn't, I think, a noticeable difference. So let's go through it here, shall we? Yeah, so going kind of going from the top, like if you've heard this before, we, we do this like every three months when they put one of these out. And broadly speaking, it is the link. Yeah, it's the links that are most widely viewed. Before that, we get the most widely viewed. In the domain. US. Yeah, in the US. Before that, we get the most widely viewed domains. Nothing's really changed there. It's YouTube. It's the gift site gofundme still bleak uh tiktok amazon all that sort of stuff so that that makes perfect sense 
Although I will say there's not kind of any really random sites in there. Like there's a few more news sites that have drifted back up. The only one that's kind of a dodgy one in there is only in your state. And that's gone down quite a lot. I will say, I, I don't believe Zillow was in here as high before, if at all. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, maybe it seems like it's better content somehow. It looks a little cleaner. That's true. So widely viewed links, though, is where... Th- I think there's a definitely noticeable difference. It's Yeah, it's hugely, it's changed significantly. So of the top 10, there are one, two, actually they're all, they're all from news organizations, mostly from Insider. Yeah, so, most of them are Business Insider or Insider. That's wild. Yeah, a really, really like big hit for Insider from a bunch of different stuff. One from CNBC, which is from Bizarrely from 2019. So there's not, there's certainly like still some odd stuff going on there number 13 is so good okay it's tight it's it's on 12tomatoes.com and it's an article titled putting peanuts in coke is the new trend coming out of the south this is the shit that i come on facebook for because one it's not a new trend so i know exactly why this went viral because people are pissed interesting this article is uh it's uh, it's written by an author called do you remember awesome and it was originally on a blog called do you remember and I am I am ninety nine percent sure that this article uh, did uh, ten point five million views because it is not a new trend. It is a very old trend from the south, and I bet you a lot of that is people being like, "This is not a, a new trend." This is exactly what every single comment on it is. I'm just skimming through the news with awesome. data, and it is astonishing. It has been broadcast by. A, a clearly a network of pages there's 12 tomorrow so the site it's on but also pages called jesus loves you pages called dusty old thing pages called the good old days club page called i am a woman of god we walk with jesus the veteran site country lifestyle my cooking plan diverse inspire and animal rescue stories you get the gist and viral nova which is interesting very interesting good old viral nova i forgot about them yeah Okay. So if you go down the list, it's more stuff from either the New York Post, Business Insider. It's a lot of like normal stuff, except when you get to, um, there are two other weird ones on here. There's one titled the 20 most attractive men in the world, according to the opinion of ordinary people. And who's number one? I got to find out who's number one because it's a ranked list. Henry Cavill. See, every time. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, And then the other one. Is titled "Women Who Say They Peaked in High School Are Sharing Their Picks for the Glow Down Challenge." Oh, that's such good Facebook content. That's so fucking good. Wow. Uh, yep, yeah, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just a before and after photos of uh, of a bunch of women on Facebook. Yep. That that that. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised that's done well. So basically, we have we have three we have three clickbaity things in there. Yeah, but like, I think also a little bit of clickbait is fine. It's like healthy for the ecosystem. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. I, th- I think the shift is really interesting, and it's it's fascinating that that's what they've how aggressively they've they've shifted it. Next, we've got the widely viewed pages, and I've never heard of the top page, which has 121 million content views. It's called Totally the Bomb, and it is uh, a drop shipping. Yeah, it's like drop shipping stuff. And yeah, inflated, uh, and relatable lifestyle content. A lot of memes, a lot of dodgy stuff. I mean, I think this is what's interesting is because the widely viewed links one has always been quite bad, but never quite as bad. The most viewed pages, I think, is still 
I think it kind of it tells you that the I guess the the underlying stuff here is still kind of a, a viral churn and I don't think that what they're saying that they fix this is nearly as true as they think it is well I mean I guess it's been so long and it's been so much of this stuff that after staring at you know we've gone through almost every single one of these that they've put out my ability to understand what is good or bad for top Facebook content is completely scrambled. Like I actually don't know what a healthy Facebook would look like anymore. No, I mean, the other thing I'll say is that a lot fewer of these have since been removed. That is something I noticed as well. There's like less stuff. Like I remember there was one of these where almost like a third of the content that was doing the best had all been removed for being spam or coordinated inauthentic activity or whatever, which, you know, that's an improvement. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's just one, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the majority of this stuff isn't being removed by their own content moderation team. The, the viewed pages, I will say what is interesting about the viewed pages, not a single one of these pages is a news page and not a single one of them is even like a right-wing political page. They are all just lifestyle content. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, the two exceptions are Lad Bible and Unilad. Well, Lad Bible are objective journalists. They, the 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 Lad Bible Unilad uh, are they, are they the same company or are they not the same? They are now, yeah. Okay, because they tweet the same stuff. No, but a lot of this stuff is like, I mean, three of these are about stuff from the eighties. There's things about like relatable married memes. This one's called the War at Home. Yeah, relatable memes. There's a bit of food stuff. There's a like a page called I Be Like. There's a page called Eighties Tunes. It's kind of yeah. It's not. There's a lot of meme pages basically, which yeah, I think, you know, looking at the content viewers on that, I think suggests that it is still a very meme heavy site. And like the top, mo the like the most viewed content, which is a meme about the interstates uh, and the numbering of interstates, has sixty four million, and the most viewed link has sixteen million. So it's still like. If I, if you were to tell me that it, uh, Facebook was eighty percent memes and like random posts as opposed to like links to sites, I think I'd probably agree with that. So let's talk about the widely viewed post section. This is the final section of this report, and it's the it's the one where you you can kind of wrap your head around what's actually being shared the best. And so the number one is, as you said, it's about American interstates. I am fairly positive we've had this exact fight about American. Yeah, we've talked about this before, right? That the interstates we have are numbered up and down and left to right, I guess. But my argument is that they are numbered wrong. No, we can't do this again. You, we can't you, do this yeah, again, Luke. Yeah. We can't do this again. Uh, and then the next one down is a video uh, on a plane. Man, people love sharing videos of stuff on planes. It's just like, it's just so viral, no matter what. Uh, then we've got, oh, wow. Okay, so this is really interesting. All of these posts are like, classic viral content. So we've got video on a plane. We've got regional argument about roads. The argument about roads is like a thing I never knew. Yeah, of course. Except I think I think that everyone on it is responding being like, obviously I knew this, oh, which well, is I, why those things always worked. We've got a weird video of a wooden boy, a boy wearing some kind of wooden mask further down. Uh, we've got a video of uh, fish doing a weird thing at the beach. People love that shit. We've got a video of a, from a security camera. We've got a uh, an emotional post about little league players. Yeah, this is just like playing the hits. Yeah, it's it's all very classic. It feels more organic than it has ever felt. So I will I will give them credit there. But I, I think I, I think I want to come back to my original point with this, which is that I don't know what Facebook is meant 
to be like I like the my idea of Facebook is so scrambled in my head after so many years of just garbage that I can't even I couldn't sit and tell you what it's supposed to look like or how it's supposed to function in 2022. I don't I yeah, no I, I, don't, I don't know what conclusion to draw from that other than they seem to have cleared out some they're kind of like a third of the way to clearing out some of the chum. And, I, and you know, we, we've spent a lot of episodes of this show digging through this stuff. We did the whole thing about CBD scams. There's the whole thing about the weird dropshipping scams. We went through Aussie media stuff for a while. I mean, yeah, the ability for bad actors or even just like mildly scammy people to take advantage of the broken ecosystem of Facebook has been so bad and for so long that... You know, I, I'll give them credit. This is cleaner and a little better than it, it normally is, but it's still not like a site that I would want my loved ones to use. <laughs> like I don't want, you know. It, Can I ask, Ryan? What, so you say you don't want your family to use it. I wholeheartedly agree. My mom has been a part of not one, but two different multi-level marketing operations that she found on Facebook Lives. But what would it take for you to want to use it again? Because I assume that at some point you enjoyed using Facebook. For me, it stopped being enjoyable somewhere around 2014, 2015. But at some point it was like I took some joy in it. So what would it take to get back to that? First, I want to acknowledge the new Alan lore has been unlocked. Very exciting. Yep. Second, <laughs> that's a really good question. And one I've been thinking about actually because of Twitter. You know, I thought like, oh man, am I going to have to go back to Facebook? I think... Facebook was the most enjoyable for me when it was the center of a really interesting feedback loop of going to things that I was seeing on Facebook, having photos taken of me at those things, and then waking up the next morning and having discourse about those things and like doing it all over again. That sort of going out in the world, talking about it on a Facebook feedback loop, and then in, in between that, sh talking about the news or sharing things was happening. But I think the minute that my social circle no longer was using Facebook to organize birthday parties or or a, a house party or a night out or you know whatever. Then it just it just stopped being a part of my life. And I think I don't know if I'd even want that again. But I, that was the last time I enjoyed it. What about you guys? I mean, I think it was good when it was essentially a big group chat. Like there was a period when you know you actually had like most people that you saw and spoke to on it and then part of this i think is just kind of an aging thing like suddenly you're you you're seeing a load of things from people who you met once on a night out or briefly lived with or something and like i don't really i don't have any interest in keeping up this person's doing now and suddenly it became like a yeah it became a feed for something else and it was just, yeah it was good when it was actually the original job that it was trying to do yeah i like what, what about you alan when was the last time you enjoyed it I think I enjoyed Facebook when I still thought it was clever, like when people were spending time and energy to post clever things to Facebook instead of it becoming sort of utilitarian. I've been accused of being an internet snob before. I will proudly wear that banner. But yeah, I think when too many people got on Facebook, there just was too much banal, boring, lame shit on there, where like for a while it was people who cared enough to think of clever, funny jokes and memes and stuff like that to share. And then it just became a garbage dump for everything. And as we've seen over and over again, the premise that like the good stuff rises to the top in any algorithmic feed is just bullshit. So it stopped being fun for me when I would open it and just like scroll infinitely and find nothing that would catch my eye, which was probably in the lead up to the 2016 election. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, if it were to come back and all of a sudden, I mean, no, because I'm in my 30s. Like, I am not, I'm not, I'm not, there's nothing I'm doing on Facebook that's like, like, even if it came back, like, I don't know, I, I don't have that life anymore. And I don't think nor I don't think young people have that life anymore of like, 
setting up an event and then sending it to all their friends who hit attending. Like, it's a ridiculous idea. It was absurd to be able to know who was going to be at a party by checking who had, like, responded yes. And then also, I will say the thing that I missed the most of all that will never come back is the brief, like, 18 months to two years of people doing digital camera dumps into albums on Facebook, and they just did no editing. You would just have somebody who'd taken 50 photos on their digital camera at a party, and then they would upload all 50 into an album on Facebook, and you would just look through them all. And I love that. I love that. It was super weird, but there was no other way to do it. You know, it was it was like the last gasps, I think, was 2015 for me. Like, there was a couple things that happened in 2015 with the internet, and there was one day where I just, like, never used Facebook again. Yeah. Properly. So, yeah, I don't think it'll, I don't think it'll ever fill a, a role in my life again but perhaps you know if they keep cleaning it up and they keep they actually care about it i don't think there's a world where it gets n new users or younger users but i you know this is a, a a hill that i've climbed up on a few times in the show which is i just think that older people deserve a better online experience and i think that like the way older users are treated on the internet is absolute horseshit and i think facebook is central to that where they're just you know shoving garbage into old people's faces and i think you know Obviously, a billion-dollar company or whatever isn't going to have a huge priority to entertain senior citizens, but they should. And uh, I think it'd be nice if they weren't bombarding them with scams all day. It would be good. Hey, Luke, speaking of content, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? I was going to ask this because uh, the answer is basically no. Um, Were you worried I was going to ask this because I literally ask this to you every single week? No, but also like I, I, I was like I've been away since last Friday, so I've actually not been consuming any content because I've been doing other things. I, I could, I could talk to you about like a, a nice pig's trotter I ate. Would that be interesting? Yeah, fine, you can do that. Uh, I've spent the last four days consuming all of the content that I just haven't consumed for like six weeks. So uh, I have lots to talk about. Uh, okay. Netflix is 1899, the new Pokemon game. There's a, a bunch of new shows that are, are enjoyable. Yeah. Alan, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? So I have in an effort to fix some of the things that are broken about my brain, have started reading books on paper again. So I've gotten a couple books from the library that I have enjoyed. So one of them is this book called Surveillance State by two reporters from the Wall Street Journal about like the mass surveillance institutions that exist in China. It's by Josh Chin and uh, Lisa Lin, uh, based on a bunch of reporting they did in Xinjiang and a bunch of other places. So that's super depressing. And then the other book is a book called AI 2041 that's jointly written by Chen Qiofan, who's one of my favorite Chinese sci-fi writers who joined up with this guy, Li Kaifu, who does VC investment. And they basically, it's a bunch of short stories about how AI will be in our lives in 20 years. So each short story is some kind of AI tech and the place it has. The opening story, for example, is about um, an insurance company that ha uses AI algorithms to nudge people towards healthier behaviors so that they can get cheaper premiums. That sounds very interesting, actually. And I and if you would like to hear more about that, you can head over to thecontentminds.com and sign up for our bonus episodes that come out every week. And it helps keep the show running. So thank you very much for those of you who sign up. And we're going to go over there now, and we're going to record all that. I want to thank Alan for pro providing the lovely soundscapes that are currently hitting your ear holes. For the Americans, uh, enjoy Thanksgiving. Please 
shop a lot. It's your patriotic duty to continue to consume all weekend. <laughs> and for the, the non-Americans, good luck with your various World Cup uh, um, miseries, I suppose. Awesome. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, great energy, Luke. That was great. Yeah.